This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Eli Melech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Eli Melech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless thee. They said, then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsels is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves, So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither come from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young man that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn." Then she fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the day of thine, since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like one of thine handmaidens. Now, 
In our study here in the book of Ruth, we've been following carefully these three main persons in this book here. I mean, we've seen Ruth. Ruth, she's brave. She's courageous. She's a Moabite. But she, through her marriage into a Jewish family, she just caught a glimpse of Jehovah Jesus as the Lord God of Israel. And with this glimpse in her view, we saw how Ruth decided, therefore, leave everything behind in the land of Moab in order to pursue this Jehovah Jesus as the Lord God of Israel. And so far, what has impressed us as we've been here in the book is we've seen the choice that Ruth made when she said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, in the first chapter in verse 16, thy God, my God. And then we saw the price that she paid as Boaz said about her in, in chapter two, verse 11, Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. That's what we've seen about Ruth. We saw the choice that she made. We saw the price that she paid. And then we next followed the person of Naomi. She's a special person. This Jewish mother who left the, the land of Israel. She left the people of Israel, and she went for, for food in the land of Moab, where she hoped to just gain, gain, gain. And we saw that instead of gaining in the land of Moab, Naomi lost, lost, lost in the land of Moab there. She lost her husband in the land of Moab. She lost her two sons in the land of Moab. She lost her possessions in the land of Moab. She was reduced to, to nothing. But Naomi did not lose her God in the land of Moab. And God caused her, through all of her losses, to gain a great treasure, a wonderful, loving daughter-in-law, Ruth, that the women of Bethlehem later would say to, to her in the last chapter in verse 15, Ruth 4:15, thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons. But we saw how Naomi let her problem so overwhelm her that she ignored Ruth, and she didn't recognize how rich she was with Ruth as her daughter-in-law. And we saw this, this epitome of Naomi's grief when she changed her name from Naomi, which means pleasantness, to Mara, which means bitterness, when she said in the first chapter there in verses 20 through 21, she said unto the, to them, the, the people of Bethlehem, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. Those were strong accusations uh, that Naomi brought against God. I mean, she was accusing God of dealing very bitterly with her. She was accusing God of bringing her home empty. She was accusing God of testifying against her and afflicting her. And, and so as we saw all this in Naomi, we concluded how Naomi, when we looked at all this, we thought to ourselves, oh boy, you've got a lot to repent of. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you have a lot to say you're sorry to Ruth, which she will as we begin now to see this great turning. That's the wonderful part about this book because it's such an encouragement, because it's all, it's all about a stories and accounts of people in a terrible place, Ruth, in a terrible place in the land of Moab, and now coming to a wonderful place in the land of, of Israel, the people of God, with the God of Israel. It's a story of, of Naomi in the depths of her depression, in the depths of the bitterness of her soul, coming out of that to thank God and to, to run to God. It's wonderful. And so uh, we saw that Naomi had pushed Ruth away in the first chapter, verse 15, when she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. So she went from pushing her way, Ruth, to pulling her close to her, as she calls her in uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, my daughter. And so when we've looked at Naomi and Ruth, we've seen that this is a book of change. It's a book of change. It's a book of conversion. And so Ruth has changed or she's converted from loving her people and her gods to loving Naomi's people and Naomi's God. And Naomi is changing too, as we said here. She's being converted from rejecting Ruth and God to accepting Ruth and seeing God as kind. Then we came to the person of Boaz, and what a wonderful person he is. And we met Boaz for the first time when he was returning from Bethlehem to, in chapter two, verse four. And what we saw first thing right off the bat about Boaz is how he spoke directly to his, his reapers, his workers. And uh, he had a foreman that was over them, but no, no, Boaz speaks directly to them. And it's what he said that impressed us because the first words out of Boaz's mouth was not about how's the work going. It wasn't anything to do about work. We saw in verse four, the first two words out of the mouth of Boaz was, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord be with you, the Lord. We can see, we can see, we just imagine a little bit, we just can see in our mind's eye here, this worker's seeing Boaz. They've seen him coming. Here he's coming. We see that's Boaz over there. He's coming from Bethlehem. And they're wondering, what's he gonna, what's the owner gonna speak about first? The landowner, is he gonna want a report of the work? How much work was accomplished while he was away in Bethlehem? Well, we want to know what problems that we've encountered and how we solve them. Is he gonna want to know a projection report on how the harvest is going, when it's gonna be completed, how much yield there's gonna be from the harvest? But the first words out of Boaz's mouth that his workers hear, it shows what was on the mind of Boaz. They listen carefully for the first words, nothing other than the Lord. And when he said that, everyone knew, yes, Boaz was a busy businessman, and he had a lot of work on his mind. He had a lot to get done with his field, but with all of his business, Boaz's business was not what was first and foremost on his mind. First, foremost, was the Lord. Boaz was a man, of course, he had natural affections were on his fields, on his property, on his work, his line of work. And there were, there were many things that caught him off guard. I mean, you know, I know that. And he wasn't expecting it. And all of a sudden, boom, it's there. You know, I remember one day in San Diego when, when I'd taken some customers out and we rented this boat and we were sailing around in San Diego Bay and 
And you know, Point Loma, it's, it's kind of remarkable. It kind of goes like this and it drops down into the water. I mean, I don't know if you call that a hill or a mountain. I call it a mountain, but anyway, it's a, it's a point, Point Loma. And so we were sailing along, kind of in the shadow, but on this protected side of the Point Loma there, this mountain. And, and we're just kind of sailing along. I had no idea as we were approaching the end there that there was a very strong wind on the open ocean. And that hill, it blocks the wind. And so we're sailing along. It's relatively light breeze. It's just relaxing. It's idyllic. We're just, you know, the sun, the, uh, the waves, the little, oh, it's just wonderful there, you know. And all of a sudden, we come along this point there, and it was like instantaneous. It was with bam, and this violence of this wind. I thought the boat was going to get knocked down. And this was a 14,000-pound boat, and I thought we were going over. It just hits so true. And so we're scrambling. I mean, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, we're, we're unlashing all the lines and the sails are just, you know, flabbing wildly. And they're in. we were like in a wind tunnel and it was wild. And, and so I thought, oh boy, I'm going to have to swim to shore. <laughs> Boat's going over. I got to explain this to Cheryl, how I, what happened to the 36 foot sail. Anyway. And so then we started to reef the sails and to trim the sails. And now, there was well over 30 knots of, of wind just hit us just like that. And the wind was so strong that it made every line so strong, we couldn't even get them loose. And, you know, that happened a long time ago. And it, it still makes me afraid to think about it now. And, and because it came as such a shock. It was so unexpected. We had no idea that that hill there, Mount, whatever you call it, was blocking all of this, was protecting us from this wild gale. I have a friend who, same area, his boat did capsize there, and he had to swim to shore. But grabbing the lines for the sails and lashing them down, that's a picture in the scripture of a word stayed. In Isaiah 26.3, it says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. See, after those lines were secured, we just sailed beautifully, even through that strong wind. And that's a picture of what happens to us because we're going along in life and we're sailing along, and we're, but we're on the protected side of Point Loma. Everything's going our way. You know, everything's going our way. We just feel that way. <laughs> and we're looking out over the open ocean and we say, oh, it's so nice. It's clear sailing, it's relaxing. And all of a sudden, bam, unexpected wind hits us. And, and the first priority, secure the lines. And that's why God says, first priority, you will keep them persecuted, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted thee. Those lines had to be stayed, and then we could sail along. That's a picture when we're hit with all kinds of troubles at one time. It disturbs our minds, it, 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 and we always see is flying lines all over the place. And, and that's the time for us to stay ourselves on the Lord Jesus Christ, dwell on who he is, Think about what he's done for us. In that boat, we're just not gonna just sort of drift our way into stability. It took a lot of work, believe me. And when we're hit with the winds of trouble, we can't just drift our way into a stability of life. It takes a lot of work to bring our minds about onto the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a picture we see here of Boaz when he comes back with, from Bethlehem all the winds of the urgency of the harvest, and he's grabbed the loose lines of his mind, and he's staying them as he thinks of Jehovah Jesus. 
And so the first words out of his mouth, it shows how he stayed his heart because he says, the Lord, the Lord, not the work, the Lord. And in that, Boaz is an example to us of staying our minds on God during the wild winds of the urgent, what has to be done. So he says the Lord instead of the work. And that didn't come naturally for him. And that's why we're told in Colossians 3, 2 through 7, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, idolatry, for which things sakes the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. See, those words set your affection in Colossians 3.2. It means direct our interest. It means we are to direct our interest onto. Setting our affection is not a, is not a passive thing. It's not a, it's not a passive, well, I'll just sort of sit back and wait until I become interested. No, setting our affection is active. Setting our affection is intentional. When King David announced to Israel, he says, I have prepared for Solomon. He's gonna build this great house to God. He's gonna build the temple. And he said something very interesting about this. And he said in First Chronicles 29, one through four. See, in First Chronicles 29, one through four, David says, it says, furthermore, David, king of Israel, said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom God alone hath chosen, he's yet young and tender. The work is great. I wonder how that made Solomon feel. He says, boy, he calls me young and tender. I don't know. But, he, but the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but it's for the Lord God. Now, I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for the things to be made of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the brass for the things of brass, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones, diverse colors, all manner of precious stones, marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, even three and he says, even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses withal. That's a tremendous amount of gold and silver, brass, iron, and so forth. He's, and he says that he prepared it with all his might. He said, I have all my might. See, David, and he talks about the amount that was over and above. He says, with all of his wealth, that the construction took so much power from him. He says, I, it was all my might. And we asked the question, say, well, David, how'd you do that? How, how did you do that? How did you do that? And he, he, how did you get yourself to that place? He, how were you able to prepare with all your might, all that wealth for the construction of a temple that you'd never even see? And David, they'd say, how could I give all, how did I give all your worth? Because I filled my mind with a vision. I filled my mind with a vision that I would never see. He says, I gave 3,000 talents of gold. That was the over and above part. That's 225,000 pounds. 
of fine gold. He says, the over above part for the silver is 7,000 talents of silver. That's a half a million pounds of fine silver, pure silver. And so he responds to this, and he says, I did it because I set my affection uh, to the house of my God. He said, it didn't come naturally to take this quarter of a million pounds of gold and this half a million pounds of silver to build the temple. He said, I, I, he said, I had to set my affection to the house of my God. And Boaz was able to speak first about God be, instead of work because Boaz set his affection to the Lord his God. And, we're talk, and that's why in Colossians 3.2, when it says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. It's, it's one simple reason. We're alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are dead to the things of the world. That's death. We're to set our interest on the Lord Jesus Christ and to put to death our interest on the things of the world. Before a person watches pornography, he has to be interested in pornography. Before a person engages in fornication, he has to be interested in fornication. Before a person seeks the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures and prayer, he has to be interested in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we control our interests. We are told, set our affections, set our interests on the Lord Jesus Christ, on things above. And, and Galatians 3, 5 says, it says, put to death your interests on the things of the earth. Put to death your interests in pornography, fornication, covetousness, and so forth, because those are dead things. And you're alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Boaz worked on setting his affection, his interest on Jehovah Jesus. It took discipline. He was a busy man. And who's more busy than the king of Israel? But as busy as he was, God instructed the king to be a man of discipline and to set his affection on God. As a matter of fact, God was very specific in his instructions to the king. And most of the time, the kings, most of the times the kings ignored God's specific instructions for the kings. But God said to the kings in Deuteronomy 17, 15 through 20, he said, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren shalt thou set the king over thee. It may not be a stranger over thee, not thy brother, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end they might multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall not henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. This, this is written by Moses long before Solomon. Neither shall he greatly multiply himself silver and gold. It shall be when he sits on his throne of the kingdom, he'll write him a copy of this law in a book, out of that which is before the priests of the Levites. It'll be with him, he'll read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days of his kingdom. See, God said the king should not multiply horses to himself. So what did the kings do? They multiplied horses to themselves. <laughs> God said the king should not have more than one wife. So what did all the kings do? They had more than wives. God said shouldn't multiply silver and gold to themselves, and they did that. 
See, it was almost as if God wanted them to, to not multiply horses and have wives and silver and gold, that God should have told them to go multiply horses and go have many wives, because <laughs> they were bent on doing the opposite. See, and those are the things that the king was not to do. Then he said, now this is the thing that the king should do. And he said, and when he sits on his throne, he says, he gets him a pen, quill, and he starts copying. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.